0: I invite you to turn with us in the Bible to the book of Judges in the Old Testament. The book of Judges will be beginning here in chapter 4. And if you forgot your Bible or if you just don't have one, there should be one there on the pew that you can pick up. And as you're turning there, uh, I just wanted to give you guys a report. This past week I was in class uh, in Lynchburg and it was a class on the doctrine of humanity. And what it means to be human, how do we as Christians address issues such as cloning and uh, abortion, human sexuality, how do we approach things such as economics and environmentalism, and what does it truly mean to be human? And it was a great week, but being able to interact with some of these guys that are teaching full time, or they're serving in ministry at other places, it just reminded me once again of how blessed I am to be your pastor, and how How awesome of a church you are. There's so many people that do so many things around here. Sometimes I'm afraid to start because I know that I'll forget somebody. But I love y'all. There's people. Jack Strickler has taken point on so many projects keeping this building, which is not uh, the newest building. Uh, There are things that happen. We all know that, right? You know what a house is? It's a money pit. Same thing for building. Especially one like ours that it takes a lot of upkeep. Thank you so much, Brother Jag, for everything from the painting to fixing the leak out there. We had a group of guys, Justin Gourley, uh, he had James and, uh, Barry C and David Gibson in there fixing the lights. If you've noticed, it no longer looks like a scary movie going through the hallway here. It looks like if you leave this door open that somebody left the door open and sunlight's coming in. It's awesome. And, and the mood, that affects the mood, right? I mean, you walk into a place and if it's halfway lit, you're looking, well, should I should I carry my gun in here? Should I be looking to get jumped? It's like, wait a second, I'm in church. So thank you guys for that. We have so many people that do so many things. The choir, I don't know if you guys realize this, many of them come straight from work without having eaten beforehand to practice on Wednesday nights. Some of the band does the same thing. Uh, they stay after um, Bible study, after prayer meeting. There are people that are serving in the kitchen. Praise God for that. Because Baptists love to eat. Can I get an amen? I mean, y'all know we have a covered dish lunch and it's just like it's going to be slap your mama good. And one thing that I think is cool about Rocky Mount Baptist Church is we've got the food section and then we got, y'all help me out, the dessert section. All caps, exclamation point, about 40 of them. I mean, it is just game on. For the desserts, and the thing is, that stuff doesn't magically appear. Somebody has to set the chairs up. Somebody has to put the tablecloths out. Somebody had to take their time—that most of us, well, we all have the same amount—but it seems like time is in short supply. And give of themselves. Our Sunday school teachers take times time each week to study. The Word of God. To seek God in prayer about what God would have them to communicate for their Sunday school classes on Sunday morning. They have families. They have jobs as well. There's so many of you that are involved in so many ways. So many of you have brought your friends. Praise God for that. I mean, if I'm excited about something, I'm going to want to bring a friend. Y'all tracking with me? I know it's still early. If I love something, if I get something out of it, if it's something that's good and it can help... You you better bet I'm not just gonna go by myself all the time. Now, can you make somebody come with you to church? Some of you are like, Yeah, I got a gun. It. No, 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 don't 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 go down that road. You, you you maybe can can force them to come one time, but to be able to do what so many of you are doing, trying to invest in the lives of your friends and your loved ones, to pray for them, to share the gospel outside of these walls, it is an absolutely awesome thing. Sandy and Tim got married yesterday. And they told me, they said, Jeff, what is the good missions organization we can have people give money to? In lieu of our wedding. Gave money. Think about this. The gospel-mindedness of Tim and Sandy, which by the way, Sandy came because she worked with Regina. And Regina used the website which Matt created to... Share the gospel with Sandy at work, even though y'all still did work. Sandy came and she got saved and then she met Tim and he got saved. You see, that's how it works. And they take two people that are relatively new believers and to say, what do we want to do with the contributions that people want to give in regards to this marriage? Let's give it to missions. And I hear bloodbath stories from pastors all the time. Now there's, can you, can you please everybody? No, there's always going to be lobsters. People that sit back and lob grenades. Y'all work with some of them, amen? You know, you know people like that. You can't ever make them happy no matter what you did. I mean, you could bend over backward. You could do the limbo. You could have a PhD in limboing on people placating, but they will not be happy. But, here's the thing. For Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we are, I believe, as God has given us grace to be about reaching people. And that's where it gets exciting because church is no longer about me and me just enjoying it for me which often if you're half as rotten as i am if i just do stuff for me and i come out being confirmed in how awesome i think that i am is that really stuff that i need anyway lord no sometimes we need somebody in the power of the holy spirit to give us a boot kick in the gut of truth In love. Like, how does that... Here's the thing. God loves us so much, He is brutally honest in His Word to show us what we are and where we're headed so that we will wake up. And I praise God for the spirit of Rocky Mount Baptist Church and being on mission with Jesus. Do y'all realize that where we came from, if you even hinted to have a drum set on stage, if you even hinted to do some of the fun, crazy stuff that we do as a youth group, if you even thought about the possibility... Of looking for a youth minister to call. Which are praying for that. Seeing what God will provide in the future for that. And maybe budgeting something for that. Oh my land. Spending money on students. Well, there is something. And if you don't know it, you need to. That every church that is not investing in its students and its young families is planning its own funeral. Y'all alright? Does that mean that we have preference over one generation over the other? Lord, no. Absolutely not. In fact, the biblical model is that the older men, because they've walked with Jesus longer, are to disciple the younger men. So that means that if you're relatively, I'm older than students, but young to some people, if you're in my life stage, I should seek after men who have walked with Jesus for years because they've been places that I haven't gone and I can learn from that without having to go through the pain and stupidity of making my own mistakes, you see. It's a lot less painful and it's a lot more wise to listen Amen? So I love y'all. In, in, in a short story, that's what I'm trying to say. Alright? I know we've just, we've, we've gone a good while, but I just needed to say that. Being away from you, I was able to come back on Wednesday night, had a great time studying Judaism and how we share the gospel with Jews. Just hearing stories, I'm not gonna eat up sermon time for that, but most of us know people that are in churches, and buddy, it's something like being in an MMA match on a Jerry Springer show with everybody hocked up on some kind of thing that you're not supposed to be smoking anyway. It's just weird, it's crazy, and it's depressing because I believe people have lost sight of the gospel. If we really realize that we are, as the Bible says that we are, sinners on our way to hell, and I don't see how we can live a life of preferences that are only about me. I don't deserve y'all. Came here just a little little under three years ago. Y'all are an awesome, amazing group. And through the ability of me communicating that to some other pastors that are going through rough times, say it doesn't always have to be that way. You can get some people together who love Jesus and who love people. Get around the Gospel. Follow Jesus' command. And guess what? It is a lot better that way. Because whether you're a member here, if you've slipped into some of that, it's all about me, or whether you're visiting here and you come from a church that's like that, or whether that's you, it is so much better to live a life that says, you know what? It's about Jesus. And it's about people. It doesn't have to be about me. I'm free to, it's freedom, I'm telling y'all. All right, let's go to the Bible in Judges chapter 4, and we're going to speak on this subject today. Uh, weak men and warrior women. Now you notice weak men and warrior women, this is from Judges 4, that we did not do this on Father's Day or Mother's Day, lest we start a war. But we're just walking through the book of Judges chapter by chapter, story by story. And let me give you the driving thought, the main idea right up front. The main idea here is influence. And here this is in your uh, outline, your notes. Our main idea is as follows. You will influence others. Let me repeat that. You will, I will influence others. The question is what our influence will be. I want to encourage you through this passage this morning to use your influence to push people, to lead people to Jesus Christ. To make much of Him and to make Christ known. Judges chapter 4, a little bit of background. This is a time in which the nation of Israel was largely, except for a very few, they were unfaithful to God. If you want to take notes, back in chapter 3, there was this constant cycle that happened. The people would rebel against God. They would slide into sin. God would bring foreign oppressors unto the nation of Israel. They would be oppressed. Then they would wake up and smell the coffee. They would cry out to God and God would send someone to deliver them. He sent Othniel there in verse 7 through verse number. 11 of chapter 3, and Othniel delivered the people and the land had rest for 40 years. Then they slid back into the same rut. There in verse 12, there was a special forces, kind of like the Jason Bourne, the uh, James Bond of the Old Testament named Ehud. He assassinated this king named Eglon who was oppressing the people of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years. And then we come to Verse 1 in chapter 4, and I'll read this, read it with me if you have your Bible. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera. Who lived in, we'll give this a shot, Harashef Hagoyim, in verse number three, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he, speaking of Sisera, the enemy commander had, check it out, nine hundred chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for twenty years. So, since this is the Old Testament, this is just a little note for us as we read and study our Bibles. We're going to just walk through this as it's given. And it's given as a story. We're going to make application as we go and ask the Lord to speak to us. Y'all ready? This is is different than preaching through Paul's epistles. This is old old school, Old Testament narrative. Here is something that we see that in verses 1-3, through the vicious cycle starts again. And then all of a sudden we find in verse number 4, this lady named Deborah. Now, I know of two Deborahs that we have here today, so this is y'all's message, alright? And it is in a good light. So, thumbs up to the Deborahs. Verse number 4. Now, Deborah, a prophetess and a wife wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. Now, here here is the, the background here. Where were the men? Where were the guys? They were hiding. The question for us today in the church, in many churches, where are the men? You know, I've known many families in which guess who gets everyone up to go to church in the morning? Mom does. And guess who tries to read the Bible to their children or pray with their children? The mom does. Guess who tries to get the children to VBS? The mom does. And dad, by his tacit omission of saying anything about Jesus, is literally leading his family to hell. That's a strong statement. Are y'all okay? Guys, I want to challenge you. If you have a family, whether your kids are grown or not, it is never too late to go back and amend things, but you have to ask yourself the question, if your little boy said, I want to be just like you, are you okay with that? I want to be just like dad. Little girl, I want to be just like dad. He's so easy. He's my dad. I love him. You say, well, Jeff, of course not. Well, today is the day of salvation. Amen, church? Jesus can change you today. So here is Deborah's bio. She is a judge, not like a, in the sense of what we consider judge wearing the robe and so forth, but she was the one who settled issues. So in other words, lady, she was a drama solver, not a drama mama maker. Y'all like that? Okay. She was the one who people came to not to share their burden so that she could get on their side, but she laid down the law. Not only that, but Deborah was absolutely committed to Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you a few notes here. You say, Jeff, it says that she was a prophetess. Were there women prophetesses in the Old Testament? Let me give you several. Exodus 15, 20. Miriam was a prophetess. Also, a lady named Holda. Kinda sounds like a German. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 22 verse 14. No idea. In Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 14. Anna in Luke chapter 2 verse 36. And Philip's four daughters in Acts 21 9. Any man that's married to a woman who loves Jesus, you get preached at sometimes, don't you? And you should be thankful for that. But check it out, guys. This is just a little this is just a little caveat for your enjoyment. Imagine being married to a woman who loves Jesus, and then four of your daughters are prophetesses. Yeah. I remember that time when God picked up Philip? From here, put him over here. Maybe that was for sanity's sake. I don't know. Just give him a break. Anyway, going back to the text. Here is the, here is the driving question of this passage. Where are the men? There's a guy in class this past week giving a presentation on the family and he, he gave these two statements. He said, women can't find men and men aren't willing to commit. What a statement. Women can't find men, and men aren't willing to commit. And then he said something about marriage that I think is absolutely true. He said marriage cements men into commitment with women and children. What a, what a great passage. And obviously you say, well Jeff, I'm single here today, or I'm single again. I'm going to just go out, get on the internet, find somebody. Go out? No, no, no. it's not saying that you should just go get married for marriage's sake. We all on the same page. Alright? Which, you all know how many people it takes to, to make a wedding? Bride and an anxious mother, right? That's that. That's it. That's it. Some of you all get that later. So here's what happens. The, the, the dudes are not there. The dudes are hiding there. They're just not in the picture. But then in verse number 6, she sent, this is what the Bible says, she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from where he lived, Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, now notice, ladies, how she approaches it and how she doesn't. She says, Has the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go and gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, and to meet you at the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. notice that it was a question, ladies. And the text doesn't say it, but Barak, who was the commander of the army, already knew that he should be leading his men. So she reminded him of what he knew to be true. Often in marriage conflicts, from what I have been told, <laughs> some of you, and obviously this goes both ways. This is just, just an insight into the text. Ladies, it will get you so much further and it will help your husband follow Jesus if you appeal to Him instead of command Him. And guys... For the most part, if you have to command your wife to submit to you, it's probably good a, a, a good indication that you're not loving her as Christ loved the church. Because what most women have told me that, boy, Jeff, if I have a man, I mean, he's willing to lead the charge. He's willing to take care of our family. He loves me. He prays for me. He's willing to pray. I, sure, I'll follow him. That's what I want. But ladies, she appealed to his conscience and appealed to what he knew to be true. So here's what happens. He comes before Deborah, she casts him the question, then notice what he says. He says in verse 8, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. Now he gets, he gets his man card taken away, right guys? Check this out. He is the commander Five-star general of the armies of Israel. He gets called in by Deborah. I mean, boom, the judge. And she says, basically, aren't you going to do what God told you you should be doing? And here's what He told you you should be doing. Are you ready to start doing that right now? And she was so persuasive. And he said, I'll do it if you come. But if you don't come, this boy ain't going nowhere. Stop for a moment. And think about where the commander got his courage. He got his courage from Deborah. She got her courage from God. And when we're driving home this issue of influence, somebody's got to be the change agent in your family. Amen? Somebody in, in the neighborhood, in Franklin County, in Southwest Virginia, in the world, it has to start somewhere. You realize that so many people are looking for someone to rely upon. She was the one who said, let's do this. So here's what happened. In verse number 10, Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to to Kedish. And notice, in the verse 9, she says, uh, He will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. In other words, what she says here is, I'll go with you, but you will not be on the front of Time Magazine. You're going to be back page story, because everybody knows that Mama came to the battle, and Mama came and took names and did her thing. It's not going to be you. In fact, it's a shameful thing. In this day and time, It was an absolutely shameful thing within that culture to have a woman lead in the defense of the nation. What it meant is, where are your boys? Where are the guys? Men should take... I'm just going to make a statement here. It is the job of the men in a combat role primarily to defend the country. It is not the women. There's something that's going on in the U.S. right now that we're possibly going to try to draft women... I think you should. Every single one of you should oppose that. Are we saying that women can't do, can't shoot the same as men? No. In fact, some one instructor specifically told me that many women can shoot better than men because they'll actually listen to instructions. Guys like, I'll watch John Wayne. Give me that thing. No, point it the other way. The other way. Yeah. It's not an issue of what women can or cannot do physically, but the fact that a man would put a woman in front of him regardless of her intelligence, regardless of her skill level, regardless if she's G.I. Jane. And I know I'm getting in trouble here, but I've got to say it. That is a sign of cultural cowardice. You can go Old Testament. You can go ancient law. You can go pagan Roman, pagan Greek. You can go American Indian. You can go German World War II. And none of them say, honey... Here's the M16. You first. It is a sign of cultural cowardice and it's a sign of societal decline and it should be opposed. Women should be protected and not put into combat roles that could lead to things that I will not mention here this morning. Alright? Everybody offended? Everybody mad? Got the emails ready to send? Alright, cool. Let's move on. Verse number 10. He commands, and notice this, he says, if you go with me, I'll go. She says, I'm game. And she gets ready. And then he says in verse 10, um, he's going to go call the 10,000 man army. Go with me on this thought. For him, she was equal in influence and courage to 10,000 of his soldiers. Ladies, the Bible tells you, memorize this, get it in your heart. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, that a virtuous woman... A woman who loves God. Who can find? For her worth is far above rubies or jewels. And at the end of that chapter, it says that charm is deceitful. Ladies, Billy Graham said, if the barn needs painting, paint it in regards to fixing yourself up, in regards to makeup, whatever it may be. But you know that your worth is not in how you look. Y'all alright? Men? Amen? It is in the fact that beauty, charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Ladies, the culture wants to tell you to focus on the outside only. The Word of God says that if you come to the place to where you receive the love of God, the love of the ultimate Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, He will so form your character that you will get those things that you truly desire, that people they, they, they respect you, they look up to you. You will be valued because you have given yourself to the God of the universe. He's changed your heart from being deceitfully wicked, like all of our hearts are, and given you one that is of gold. All right? That's what we see here. He went to get the 10,000 only after she said she's ready. So verse 12 through 13. Here's Sisera, the evil oppressor, the tyrant, thinks, easy out. No problem. I'm going to get my 900 chariots, which is an ancient equivalent of tank, for those of you military history nerds in here, that if you had primarily an Israelite infantry, and you had to face on open ground... Chariots, absolute slaughter, no contest. There was nothing. There was no even the stakes that they raised up on Braveheart to stop the English cavalry charge. None of that. Now notice it says in verse 14, you've got Sisera, he's ready to war. All of the men of Israel are there. And then Deborah says to Barak, Up! Get up! Ladies, like that's what I tell him on Saturday morning. Up all right. For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. And here's the question again, ladies. Does not the Lord go out before you? You see, she did not impugn or take down or take cheap shots at his manhood. Saying, well, I wish that we had some men around here. If somebody could just get up somewhere and do something productive with their life, she didn't do that. She said, is not the Lord with you? And notice what he did there. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. That's awesome. And the Lord routed Sisera. He got confused the enemy and his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and went and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots to the army of Harasheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword and not a man was left. What an awesome story. Then it gets to where some people don't like the Old Testament being preached. This tyrant, this oppressor goes and he tries to find somewhere to hide. He goes into the tent of a woman named Jael. And he he asks her if he can um, basically hide in verses 17 through 22. And so here's what happens. He goes into the house. She knows that he's the enemy commander. She gives him something like some milk or some yogurt to eat or drink. And then he falls asleep. And this is in the Bible. She takes, ladies, this is hardcore. She takes a tent peg and drills the dude's head into the ground with the tent peg. Yep, it's in the Bible. And then she goes like, if you've ever owned a cat and the cat brings you its kill. Notice what happens here in verse number 22. And behold, as was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you're seeking. So he went into the tent and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. Another one bites the dust, Old Testament style. You guys notice the irony in this story? You have a man, Sisera, who was revealing and I guess exploiting his power like many guys do today in all of the wrong ways. And yet he was taken down and destroyed by the direction of Deborah and by the hand of Jael. And in the midst was a man whose confidence was only gained by what Deborah gave to him. And you say, now Jeff, what is the point of that Old Testament story? Here's the application, how we can draw the bridge to where we are today. When you use your influence, even if you think your influence is small, When you use it for Jesus Christ, what will happen? Go with me to chapter 5 and verse 2. It says that the leaders took the lead and the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. What will happen is that people will offer themselves in service to God because they see you serving God and they see the benefits of that. They see, well, I've never understood what it means to be a godly man. Do y'all realize that so many guys today, my generation and younger especially, don't have dads for all practical purposes? Dad is absent. The breakup of the home, dad is absent. And if he's there, often the relationship is not. I could tell you conversation after conversation, Facebook post after Facebook post, I've seen young men give. They want someone to take the lead. So here's the thing. Man or woman, God is calling us to use our influence for Him. You say, Jeff, that's so basic. I know, but that's the power of it, you see. I'm sure most of us in here say, well, Jeff, I have a limited sphere of influence. No, you don't. You never know what the influence that you use for God's glory upon the people that you know will reap and what will grow and what will what will increase in time. So people, if you use your influence for Christ, they will follow you. Not only that, in verse 3, it says, Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. This is talking about, boy, when people see God work in your life, they have confidence that He can create a new chapter in their life. Amen, church? It has to start somewhere. You see, it's no longer when you willingly offer yourself to follow Christ, it's no longer stuff that people read about in a book. It's no longer just something that you read in a sermon book or in a Sunday school quarterly. People can look at your life and be like, man, I know that God is real because I know Him, because I know her. But the question is, are we going to believe God who can do all things? Or Satan who says, you know what? You have a limited sphere of influence. Nobody knows who you are. You're not educated like those people. You don't have the money like those people. You don't have the connections like those people. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Because I want you to think for just a moment for something that we all know but frequently forget. The salvation of the world. The reason why you're here right now is because God sent His Son to be born as an ethnic minority persecuted people group. A Jew as a child who grew up in a brutal time, and it is from that precious baby, the Lord Jesus, who grew into a man who gave Himself for our sins on the cross that the reason why we are here today. Great things always start small. The influence that God has given you, don't do, if you're taking notes in verses 14-17, through 17, don't pass the buck. Imagine coming back from that battle. You're one of the 10,000 men. Notice what happened. There was... There were several tribes in Reuben? Verse sixteen. The question: This is a song from Deborah and Barak. This is a post-battle exultation. They said, "Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds?" Verse seventeen. Gilead and Dan. Why did he stay with the ships? In verse eighteen, Zebulun. Who was? These were all tribes in Israel. Is a people who risked their lives to death. Naphtali too, on the heights of the field. You see, it's they're contrasting. There were some people who passed the buck of responsibility. And when we become men and women of God, we no longer pass that buck of responsibility. Amen? Sometimes we want to come and we want to get involved in church, and that's good. But I'm encouraging you to follow Christ in every aspect of your life. To take it outside the walls of this church. I was growing up in Louisiana. We would go fishing at this one place. It was called the pumps and they had to pump all of the water out of these, uh, these canals or it was going to flood the neighborhoods. Like in Louisiana, you basically live below sea level if you're in southeast Louisiana. And it would, it would just collect all of these fish into this pool. And these fish were, it was so overpopulated and they were so crowded and so ravenous that you could actually put a piece of your shirt on a hook, kids. And drop that into the water and the fish would grab a hold of it because they were so starved for anything. And I think that that pictures many people in our world today, don't you? They are grasping at anything for anything. Because they don't know what life is for. They don't know what it's about. But the Bible tells us there in verse number 18 that Zebulun, this is so cool, Old Testament Jewish tribe here, is a people who risked their lives to the death. I want to encourage you from this passage of God's Word, don't be afraid to risk great things for God. Jim Elliott, the great missionary who died at the hands of the Alka Indians, said expect great things from God Attempt great things for God. Those people that you know in your life that you think cannot be saved, that is not true. Continue to reach them. Be like Deborah and say, I, confidence is in God. Let's go. Let's meet the enemy. And because of God, we will win. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as this is our time of commitment. We call it an invitation. It's a, it's a time to where we invite you to where God is extending His hand of life change for you to respond to the gospel. Very simply, this is it. There are some of you here today, and you know that you need Jesus in your life. You may have had a church background, you may be like the characters that we discussed. Barack knew, he knew. He knew the right thing to do, but he just didn't do it. He was sitting on the truth, refusing out of fear to follow God. And there are some of you that you say, man, Jeff, I I know that I need God in my life. I have been to church... You may even be a member of a church somewhere, may have have had a decision or something like that, but you know that it's not truly been changed. It's your heart and your life have not changed, and you know that you need that. In this moment, give your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us to repent. That means for you to turn away from your sin. And put your faith totally in Jesus right now. It's not the words that you say, but it's you just repenting and giving your life to Christ. Receive what He's giving you, which is salvation and His grace. Just say, save my soul, Jesus. Ask Him right now. There may be some of our believers here this morning that you have bought in to a part of the lie that the enemy has said, your influence is small. Even if you talk to that person, they wouldn't listen. They're not interested in Jesus. So why would you create an awkward social situation? And you know that you need to stand up and to tell people about Jesus. We had two people married here yesterday because someone took the the risk of creating an awkward situation and told them about Jesus. It's a new family that's built upon the Gospel because someone was willing to obey. There are some of you, undoubtedly, that you know that this is where God would have you to be. You need to join this church. We invite you to come. There are others of you that you've followed Christ, you have been saved, but you've never been biblically baptized by immersion. Maybe you've been saved recently, but you say, you know what? I need to follow Christ in baptism. This is the way that we do it at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. You desire to be baptized? We'll invite you to come. I'll be standing down here in the center aisle just a few moments, and you just come and you say, Jeff, I need to be baptized, or I need to be saved, or whatever your decision is, whatever your commitment may be to Christ, why don't you come? Please don't put it off. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And finally, for our believers, God has blessed you. You're walking with Him right now. You love Him. You sang that song, 10,000 Reasons... To bless God. Why don't you just use this time as a time to where you praise Him and you thank Him for your family. You thank Him for salvation. You just, as much as your heart can pour it out, you just let Jesus know that you love Him and you're willing to follow Him. Lord Jesus, this is the time. This is Your time. The time to where You invite us to obey and to respond. Lord, would you raise up some Deborahs here and some men, some commanders who even, they know the truth, but they're willing to obey today. Would you do that in this moment? In Jesus' name, amen.